I remember that year was probably the hardest year of my life because honestly we didn't take a cent from that business um, in that first year but it was also probably the best year of my life because I enjoyed just building a community and building hopefully a place where people could actually feel really comfortable and safe to walk into and enjoy it and just spend an hour of their day not thinking about life. Hey there friends and welcome back to another episode of the For Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sapala. For anyone joining in the conversation for the first time, firstly, welcome and thank you so much for jumping on board. Secondly, a little bit of background about myself. I'm a qualified personal trainer and the owner and founder of Euphoria Health and Active Living. Euphoria Health originated from the word euphoria, which is defined as a state of intense happiness or excitement. And that's exactly what I aim to do. I aim to cultivate happiness through movement. I'm so passionate about holistic health and all of its pillars, including nutrition, movement, recovery, and mindfulness. And that's what this show is about. I strive to help educate and inspire you guys to have longevity and sustainability at the forefront of all of your decisions. Let's work together to focus on building healthy foundations and setting a new benchmark for our health, one that can be sustained for the rest of our life. I want you to create healthful decisions to add years to your life each and every day. I live by this philosophy. I don't want to be your quick fix. I want to be your only fix. Now that's enough rambling on. This week on the show, I'm humbled to introduce you to Sarah Nemi, a strength and conditioning coach and owner of BodyFit Training in Pasco Vale and Essendon. Alongside this, Sarah is a part of the programming team for the global fitness franchise BodyFit Training. Sarah is one of the most influential people in the fitness industry. Through her dedication and work ethic, she empowers and uplifts her community to do better each and every day. She's an inspiration and a huge advocate for all women in business, and she's paving the way for future generations in the space. We spoke about this at length during today's show. We also spoke about programming for athletes first general population clients and non-negotiable inclusions for programming for a global fitness franchise. Alongside this, Sarah and I discussed the fitness industry and how trainers and coaches can level up their skill set by following some simple protocols. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the Euphoria Health podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time. As usual, guys, if you're listening into this pod, join in the conversation on socials by tagging both Sarah and I and letting us know what you thought of the episode. This in itself means so much and helps the podcast grow. And also, don't forget to share this episode with a friend or two. That's all from me, folks. I'll see you guys on the other side. Sarah, without a surname, welcome to the (laughs) Euphoria Health Podcast. Thanks, mate. I'm happy to be here. My husband will love that you use that. Thank you. Little bit of background for everyone playing at home. I was asking Sarah about the pronunciation of her last name and we went through that it was Nemi, but then she addressed that her husband would hate that she hasn't changed her name. So we're, we're referring to her as Sarah without a last name today. <laughs> Sits well with me, that's fine. <laughs> so good to have you on the show, mate. I've been following your journey from the outside in for quite a while now. Um, love everything that you created, love your ethos behind what you're doing. Um, I guess before we get into the nitty gritty of today's chat, I'd love to sort of break the ice a little bit and let everyone at home know what the most down-to-earth thing is about you. 
um, that I secretly have a really massive chocolate addiction. Um, <laughs> and I love a good pizza while watching the footy on a Friday night. <laughs> Hopefully it's down to worth enough. <laughs> so much to unpack. Talk to us. White or dark chocolate? Uh, no white chocolate. I don't believe it's real chocolate. So I agree with you there. Yeah. Well, there's no cocoa in it. It's pretty much butter and sugar. 100%. Which, 100%. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, but it's just not chocolate. Yeah, not my fan favourite too. And who do you follow in footy? Don't judge me. I'm an Essendon supporter. Hey. Yep. Um, <laughs> we had high hopes at the beginning of the yeah. year. <laughs> Sorry. Unfortunately. Big let down already. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so good, mate. I love to sort of like break the ice and let everyone at home know that yeah. you are still a real person. Yeah, of course know, I am. Yeah. Beyond the Instagram scene and everything that you've been up to, which is amazing, and I'm sure we'll unpack a bit later on, but... Just to let everyone know that you still are a real person yeah. and you still love watching the footy and having a pizza and eating chocolate, yeah. although not white chocolate. Not white. <laughs> now, Sarah, I'd love to unpack your journey, but before we do that, let's bring it right back to the beginning and talk to me about what life was like growing up. Growing up, um, I quite often think about my childhood and I feel truly blessed uh, with the childhood that I had. Um, grew up in very ethnic Lebanese family, um, so plenty of love and food all the time. Grew up with an older brother and a younger sister, who I love very much and are really close to, but we've got a pretty big extended family as well that we're all really close with. Um, so growing up, it was just about a lot of family get-togethers and barbecues, a lot and a lot of barbecues. And I grew up sort of loving sport, loving fitness, um, played soccer for probably 20 years of my life and then turned that into playing competitively, which I loved. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much my childhood growing up. That's all it was about. I love it. I love that huge emphasis on family and, like, relationship building connection and everyone integrating. And I'm sure you can resonate with that with the little family that you create during group fitness, which I'm sure we'll, we'll tap yeah. into a little bit later on. But that's so, so cool. So... Talk to us a little bit about the the sporting ambitions and you mentioned that was a big part of your childhood. Um, did you have aspirations to play professionally within your sport? Like, Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, growing up, like I said before, I love watching the footy and growing up I absolutely loved footy. Um, you know, my brother is older than I am so he used to take us out to the park every day after school and have a kick. Um, but there wasn't any really like competitive footy out there for girls at the time. Um, otherwise, I would have loved to have played AFL. So because of that, sort of got into soccer through high school and then uh, went and played for a Premier League club for about five years and then switched clubs. Um, but, yeah, growing up, I always was hoping and, and dreaming and wishing that I'd be a pro soccer <laughs> soccer athlete one day. Um, had a fair few opportunities to go and play overseas, um, but... My parents were all about, you know, making sure that studying was good and, you know, you got into uni and you did a degree and so um, coming from a war-torn country as well, they were quite protective. Um, so there was a lot of fear around me going overseas and doing that. So stayed in Melbourne um, but, you know, was pretty angry with them for a while but super grateful that I am where I am now. Um, I wouldn't be here without them. So Yeah, it's such an interesting perspective on things as well. Um, that stability and that sort of like that safety net as yeah. well. And you can sort of understand their perspective from that yep. point of view. Like everything can be gone within one second. Absolutely. So that yeah. security, that um, that safety net is is such a big part. Yeah. Did you find that that was 
a barrier for you chasing any other aspirations in your life? Or did you find that it was harder to break out of that quote-unquote comfort zone through um, things later in life? I would probably say initially yes, um, more so because I didn't really understand it. You know, being a little bit younger and, you know, I think we often forget just how lucky we are to have access to so many of the simple things in life. Um, and so growing up, I never really understood why they were so protective and um, really wanted, I guess, to keep me under wraps and, and keep me at home. Um, so in some ways, yes, it was definitely a barrier, but in other ways, I often feel so grateful that I probably wouldn't be the person that I am had I not been exposed to that love and that affection and um, I guess that protectiveness. And I think that's really instilled, you know, a lot of my love and passion for my family and the people around me. And I don't think I'd be the person that I am not having that growing up. Um, so in some ways, yes, a barrier, but in other ways it's, yeah, it's made me absolutely love growing up with the people that I've grown up with as well. I love that answer, Sarah, because like we often overcomplicate the life to be yeah. something bigger than what it is. Yeah. And I was chatting to someone yesterday regarding just business and, and progressions and stuff like that. And she had to pull me aside and say, show me the photo of um, the new galaxy photos from NASA. Yeah. Have you seen them? Yeah. She's like, you see that little dot? She's like, that's a galaxy. <laughs> and you see that? That's Earth. And she's like, you, not really relevant yeah. in the grand scheme of things. And like to put it into that perspective, to have it as black yeah. and white as that was like, well, the things that we're experiencing are really not that relevant. Yeah. And there's so many more bigger things that yeah. are that should be taking up our time. Absolutely. Um, so I think it offers great perspective to zoom out and look at what you're grateful for and all the things that yeah. you do have instead of worrying about all the things that you don't have. Yeah, 100%. You know, and a lot of people will probably uh, pull me up on this, but mum always used to say to me, there is always people that are worse off than you. Um, and I know that in some ways that doesn't really work all the time in our life, you know, and day-to-day -day situations. But I think, you know, the way she was trying to say it was like, I know for her growing up, you know, their mum left them for two years alone so she could, you know, get married here in Australia and bring them across with her um, to escape the war and they had to, you know, deal with so much around them and watch their friends get hurt and their family and their loved ones, you know, go through so much. And I think mum would have given anything to be in the situation that I'm in now and the situation that I was in growing up with just being able to go to school and um, feel safe wherever I was. So, yeah, it's um, definitely puts things into perspective, that's for sure. Yeah, 110%. And I'll say it, said it before, I said it again, nothing really, really matters without yep. your, your health, your safety yeah. and protection, all those little simple things in yeah. life. Um, and it's such a great humbling thing to sit back, reflect. Yeah. And I always love that saying. My mum always told me that. There's always someone worse <laughs> yeah. off than you, always. so stop soaking. <laughs> just, like, get on with yeah. it. Um, and it offers that great bit of perspective and, I yeah. guess, a little bit of extra motivation to push past things that may be challenging. Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I don't think very highly of myself, but one thing that I do know about myself is that I'm quite resilient and I think that resilience comes from, you know, that that exact thing is mum saying to me, you know, you got to be grateful for what you have and um, you're so much better off than so many people in this world, so make the most of what you've got. Beautifully said. 
Now, Sarah, I want to circle back to that at the end of the podcast yep. once we dive into more business side of things. But I'd love to for you to set the scene about how you got into fitness. And you said that you're always very sporty as a kid. You yep. were chasing those professional aspirations. Obviously, fitness is a huge component to yeah. um any sort of strength and conditioning yep. um, sporting aspirations. Talk to us a little bit about how your, your focus diverged into fitness. Um, <clears throat> funnily enough, I I didn't ever find it a chore to run, go to the gym or anything like that. You know, it wasn't ever a matter of, you know, trying to find the motivation. I think for me, I just, I loved sport that much um, and I always knew I wanted to be involved in it. So I think growing up and playing soccer and then getting into you know, a couple of Premier League clubs for me is what kick-started that. I, I honestly initially wanted to become a physio for that reason, but then the more I delved into the rehab side of things and thought, well, there's such a gap um, in the industry with, you know, getting injured, doing your rehab, fixing that, but then getting back to, you know, game ready and being able to get strong enough to then play again I think was a big gap for me and what I found when I played and I started to wish that I had the opportunity to have access to that sort of stuff and I never did. Like I said, women's soccer today is so different to what it was back when I was playing. It sounds like I'm 70 years old. But <laughs> back in my day. <laughs> back in my day. <laughs> um, and so I think that really ignited my love and passion for strength and conditioning and so um, I initially did biological sciences at uni, majored in anatomy and physiology. I was a massive nerd, so I loved the physiology side of things. Um, and then from there, did my human movement and exercise science degree um, and then got into my master's in strength and conditioning. And like I said, I'm a massive nerd. So the more that I learned, the more that I loved it. That's so good. I think having that mindset about being a sponge and trying to absorb as much information, yeah. like it does work wonders for you yeah. with what you're passionate about. Yeah. You, I guess... And this is opening up a completely different can of worms. So stop me if I'm <laughs> if I'm going down a, a different path. I guess the the general like rule of trajectory of life is you you know you go to school, yeah. You go straight to high school, then you go straight into uni, then you go straight into a job, right? Yeah. And like you're constantly getting this education, and then once you're in the job, you just stop learning. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like it's almost distorted in a way because every single day you're gathering bits of information off someone else, yeah. seeing something in the distance, like which is adding to your repertoire and your knowledge base in your brain. So yeah. I feel like having that mindset of education and, and learning is benef so much more beneficial than thinking, oh, I need to go to uni to learn yeah. what I need to know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll always say it, I guess the, the best learning I ever had um, was my first year doing VFL men's program because it was the first year that I had started my master's in exercise science. And so everything that I was learning, I was able to apply to what I was doing. And I think one, I got the most amount of learning there, but I also enjoyed it so much. And it was probably the most enjoyable job that I had had. We go through so many years, especially as SNCs, and I know other SNC coaches out there will tell you the same thing, is you literally get paid peanuts <laughs> for doing what you do. But we all love it so much. And so I think having the opportunity to learn all about your industry while being in the industry is absolutely everything. And I think that's why so many people stick it out Um is because you're just, you're always learning and I'm never going to stop learning. It's stuff that I love doing. You know, there's a really good saying that if you think you know it all, then <laughs> I don't even know how the rest of it goes, but you just never know it all. <laughs> it's so true. It's so, so true. If um, if you're going to work with someone and they yeah. say they know it all, then oh, yeah. you're definitely with the wrong person Absolutely. because you're always learning. And I know for me personally, like yeah. 
yes, I'm when my PT clients come to me, yeah. I'm technically the expert in the field, but yeah. through that 45-minute session, I'm gathering so much information and learning off them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So having that, like, vulnerability to be open to yeah. new experiences and be open to changing your perspective I think is such an invaluable trait. Oh, 100%, and I couldn't agree more. And I think it's part of what I think the problem is in the industry at the moment is people... One, can't be humble enough to admit that they don't know everything, but two, won't actually go and do the work to try and learn everything. And I think you just become so much more relatable to people when you can honestly hand on heart go, you know what, I don't know the answer, but I'll find out. Or, you know, I don't know, like I know for me, yes, my expertise, so to speak, is in strength and conditioning. I know I don't know everything about nutrition. So I wouldn't give somebody advice about nutrition. I know what works for me nutrition-wise, but it's not going to be for everyone and I don't have that qualification. So I know that if I was to openly say that to my members or my clients, they'd go, you know what, that's awesome. At least she can put me on to somebody who does know about nutrition. Um, And I think it's a big thing that's missing. You know, we spoke about it the other day, like there's so much ego in this industry and everyone's got an opinion. And I think if you just break down those walls, I don't think people realise how much they can learn off each other and actually help each other out. It's huge. Beautifully said. I I could not agree more, especially with the nutrition side of things. Like, as personal trainers, we're not qualified to give nutrition (laughs) advice, yet the common question I get from new prospective clients is, oh, can I have a meal plan? Yeah. And it's like, take a step back a little bit. Like, the industry, why are they led to believe that personal trainers can give nutrition plans is because so many PTs are giving nutrition plans. Like, yes, nutrition is a vital part of um, any fitness-related goals, but working in tandem with someone else who actually studies that. And I feel like it discredits the nutrition and dietetics degree because if a personal trainer is going to give that that advice anyhow, what's the point of doing the degree? Absolutely. And I think what works for me isn't going to work for the next person. Um, and everyone's got a different goal. Like, you know, I'm trying to put on a bit of size at the moment. So if I gave my members what I eat um, and told them I have a block of, you know, Cadbury every day, <laughs> it's probably not going to go down too well if they're trying to lose weight. Um, and I think it comes with a lot of understanding as well. So, yeah, I absolutely agree, 100% right. I want to dive a little bit more into that. And I guess for any trainers out there um, that do listen to the podcast, s coaches, anyone that's influential in the fitness industry, what are some bits of advice that they can do to absorb information off other people? And I guess any bits of personal advice that you've had in terms of breaking down those barriers and sort of like being vulnerable and accepting knowledge, accepting information from other people. What's some advice for those guys Um, and girls? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think having an open mind and I I know that for me, seeking out a coach helped me a lot. Um, And, you know, a lot of people will say to me, why do you have a coach if you're, you know, a programmer and you're an SNC coach? Um, If you can program your own stuff, why would you seek someone else and pay someone else to do that? Um, And for me, well, I just go, if I was to program what I want to program, I'll only ever program the stuff that I like and not the stuff that's going to challenge me. And it's the best way to learn. You know, I've got a coach at the moment and some of the stuff that I do, I can honestly tell you, and he'll hate me for saying this, but I absolutely hate it. But I know it's going to help me and I know that it's stuff that I wouldn't program for myself, but I'm learning so much about my body and how my body responds to that type of training that is so invaluable. And so I think the biggest piece of advice would be, you never, ever, ever know it all and you never know enough. So try, one, maybe get a coach 
obviously do your research, but to try and get a bit more hands-on and go and do some volunteering or some shadowing with coaches in the industry that you look up to and respect. Um, you know, we often talk about in our industry being in the same room as people who are in a position that you want to be in and learn off them. It's mind-blowing how much you can gain from just watching what they do and how they speak to people because I think communication is absolutely everything, especially in this industry. And we all know how to write a program, but we don't know how to talk to our clients about it and talk to our clients about, you know, what's going on in their lives and, and that sort of thing. So I think you can have the best program in the world, but if you don't know how to talk to people and you can't build rapport with people, then it means nothing. And on the flip side, you can have the absolute worst program ever written. Um, but if your clients trust you and you know how to get the most out of them, then you're winning every day. 110% hit the nail on the head. And I had Brad Riddle on the show a few weeks ago talking yeah. about this exactly exact thing that you just mentioned there. Like he said the number one thing that all people coming into the industry should focus on is personality profiling and yeah. knowing how to build rapport, have a conversation with someone and break down those barriers with, with your prospective client or someone, whoever is else in the industry. Because if you can't have that relationship and can't have that rapport, how do you expect them to adhere to the program that you're delivering? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to build the trust first. Yeah, and it's like with anything, you know, if you're a salesperson, well, not that you should be, you know, just trying to sell things straight off the bat, but I think, you know, you get to know people first and you get to know what their wants and needs are and I think everyone has different wants and needs and if you can't meet that and you can't extract what that is, then what's the point? That's what coaching is, you know. It's funny, my boss, Cam um, Falloon, will often talk about the fact that there is such a big difference between trainers and coaches. And we talk about the fact that anyone can be a PT, anyone can be a trainer, anyone can come in and count down and count your reps and tell you how to do the program, but very few people actually know how to empower their clients and their members to get the most out of their training. And that for us is like the missing link. And if you can perfect that, then you're set. Like no matter what industry you walk into, if you've got that skill and that ability, then you're already above everyone else that's going for that role. We're, we're connection-based individuals, right? We're, yeah. we're primal beings at heart. We love community. We love connection. Yeah. We love relationship building. Yeah. So if we are not focusing on that in any industry, let alone the fitness industry, <laughs> yeah. the service-based industry, then it's a huge missing part. And I love what you just said there. Thank you. And, you know, we, my business partners and I often laugh about the difference. Like for me, I think when we first opened our um, first gym, BFT Essendon, that first year um, I was managing a lot of it. So taking all the classes and doing all the leads, all the sales, all that sort of thing. And I remember that year was probably the hardest year of my life because honestly, we didn't take a cent from that business um, in that first year. But it was also probably the best year of my life because I enjoyed just building a community and building, hopefully, a place where people could actually feel really comfortable and safe to walk into and enjoy it and just spend an hour of their day not thinking about life and just going, I can come in, I can zone out, I can enjoy what I'm doing, I can speak to Sarah, I can speak to, you know, this person and that person and just not think about what's going on outside of here, even for an hour it's such a powerful thing that we get to do every day. I think that's 
the number one reason why group classes right now are absolutely thriving. Yeah. Because people using it as an escape, they're using it to catch up with their friends, they're yeah. using it to connect with other individuals. Yeah. Like fitness isn't fitness is just the vehicle that people are using <laughs> yeah. connection to drive to, right? Yeah. So if we can really tap into that, build down those walls as a trainer and yeah. help empower your team to know what questions to ask, know how to construct a conversation, know how to listen. I feel yeah. like listening is such a huge, huge skill that everyone needs to improve on. Yeah. Since I've started podcasting, I have, I, I always thought that I was a good listener and then like <laughs> trying to listen to someone talking while I'm in a podcast has just been a whole different ball game. Yeah. So like this alone has helped me improve my listening skills tenfold. And yeah. I feel like it's the most, I guess, important aspect to helping yeah. build relationship with someone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everyone, everyone in the world has a common want and need and it's to be heard and to be valued and to feel like they belong to something. And if you can give people that, then you've got them for life. You know, whether it's in your gym, whether it's at home, whether it's your group of friends, even strangers, I think if you're giving people the time of day and you can honestly sit there and listen to what they want to tell you because everyone's got a story, right, then you could make such an enormous impact on people's lives. Beautifully said. Brad, in our last podcast, spoke about the 90-10 rule. And um, (laughs) this is something that I innately do, and you probably do it as well, 90% focused on the person that you're training, whether that be the client in a one-on-one situation or like the person you're talking to in a group situation and 10% about you. Yeah. And that's the easiest way to learn how to listen (laughs) because you're focusing all about them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's another fantastic tip for anyone out there in the industry. Yeah. Sarah, I want to touch on a little bit about self-education. You mentioned that earlier in the podcast for trainers out there and I just wanted to sort of get your perspective on self-education and what that looks like to you. Does that look like going out and doing a ton of different courses? Does that look like listening to podcasts, engaging in conversations? How, how do you constantly upskill and educate yourself? Um, yeah, two things I love doing um, is probably listening to some podcasts that I highly rate um, and I'll go on my long walks and I'll just chuck my headphones in and listen to that and take in as much as I can um, and then almost go back once I do get home from my walk, go back and apply what I've heard um, and go, how can I implement this into what I do either every day or in my work, in my job, um, in the gyms, in my family life, all of that. Um, so that's, that's been a big thing for me. And then the other one is, like I said, I'm a massive nerd. So I love to read. I'm pretty old school like that. Um, I've still got a lot of my textbooks from uni, um, a lot of my lecture notes and things like that. So I'll often just go and research some articles, um, on topics that, interest me and I think can that, that I can apply to my job um, and my training and I'll try and get the most out of those articles um, that I can. But like you said, having a conversation with somebody in a, in a position um, that can assist and that has been there before, um, I think that can make all the difference as well. Like I said, having a mentor or somebody that's been there before um, that you can bounce ideas off and go, well, have you tried this before? Um, what were the results like? What did you think of this? How can I do it better? Um, that for me, especially in the role that I'm in at the moment, has been a really, really big help and has taught me a lot, not just about programming in my industry, but also how to deal with people and, and feedback. That's been a big one. Yeah, awesome. I think that's such a fantastic, important part that you highlighted reading. Yeah. I love how you mentioned podcasts as well. Yeah. Um, 
I make it a priority of mine to listen to podcasts at least every day. Sometimes I'll listen to the same one two days in a row because you always gather bits of information. Yeah. Um, and read books. Like I would go through maybe 10 or 15 books yeah. a year to read. And I feel like the beauty of having these books there, obviously from credible sources, you know, mm. you're not just going to take yeah. <laughs> Joe Bro's opinion yeah. all the time, um, yeah. but the things that are appearing in the same different books, like the same things. Yeah appearing they're obviously working for a reason so they're there so implementing them is a different story but reading books and listening to podcasts gives you the ability to digest the information in a human way like courses give you the the course version and and like research articles give you the research article version but then actually implementing that and digesting that in a human way which is then transferable to your client which is all a progression right you need to be able to break down the skill or break down that component in there to be able to tell someone yeah absolutely and I think really good example of that and like I said in my first year of uh, running a VFL program it was I learned so much at uni just from reading and listening to lectures and things like that but actually speaking to you know the other SNC coaches that were involved in the AFL team and you know the medical staff and talking to them about what I wanted to implement and then if they had done it before or what ways they used to do it and how the boys responded to it, that for me was everything. And I think watching it unfold is so different to actually just reading about it and going, oh, yeah, this is the strategy, this is what I can do. But then to actually see it in action and see how they work things and how they try and get the most out of, you know, the guys doing it is just, it taught me so much. And it gives you a bit more confidence in implementing what you want to implement. 100%. 100%. I, um, I heard this quote. I'm not sure if you've, if you've heard it before. You may have. If you can't explain your skill to a six-year-old, then you don't really know yeah. the skill. <laughs> yeah, I love that quote. It's so true because like, you, in the industry, and I feel like this is another can of worms that we can unpack, but a lot of trainers and coaches are trying to impress other coaches yeah. but not really serving their audience, which is yep. the customer slash client. And if yep. you can't, if they're not absorbing the information that you're saying because you're using a fancy word that, yeah. you know, people are losing interest in, then you're not really doing your job. You're just impressing yep. your mate who's a trainer, which is not your target audience. No, exactly. <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favours. And I think we call it, you know, the KISS principle, which is, keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> um, because so many in our industry, like you just said, hit the nail on the head, people love to complicate things and love to make things sound really fancy. Um, and I think they do it, like you said, to try and impress other coaches. They're on socials and, you know, they try and make a massive hoo-ha about what they do, but then to try and implement that in day-to-day life is just so hard, especially with general pop. Um, and so I think doing the simple things but doing them right will get you so much further. And I think, like you said, it's in a world where people just want to make things harder, all you got to do is simplify it. And that seems to be the hardest thing for people to do at the moment. 100%. Um, a, a little bit about that. I remember doing a, um, a deadlift workshop at yeah. BFT and we were teaching people to hinge and you would obviously know that teaching people to hinge is like the hardest thing ever to do <laughs> yep. any people in the industry it's like you tell people to bend their knees they bend their knees then you tell people to like roll their shoulders yeah. back and it's like all right now you're just gonna <laughs> bend over at the knees and then sometimes they're landing ending yeah. up on the floor like in awful positions yeah. right so learning how to give the client information in ways that they'd understand yeah and I broke down the skill into ways that like didn't even make sense to me but the person understood <laughs> like bend your knees yeah row shoulders back and try and headbutt the ground. They're like, what? Headbutt the floor. And they're like, oh, right. (laughs) 
It's so simple. But if yeah. you were to say that in like a, a lecture or a seminar, people are like, what Yeah, f- what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, this guy's a weirdo. <laughs> um, yeah, and so like that's the thing. People learn so differently too, you know. Like one thing that I say to one person that will help them isn't going to help the next person. And, you know, people learn differently. People are visual learners, um, you know. So I think it's so funny that you say that because you could literally use every single cue under the sun to try and get them to deadlift correctly and it's just not going to work until you give them something really stupid and simple that they can focus on. They go, oh, that's what you mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love it, the KISS principle. Let's let's implement that. Yeah, <laughs> every day. <laughs> no, I think there's some fantastic bits of advice for anyone that's in the industry, that's been in the industry for a long period of time. I think that these bits of information are really, really vital um, and implementation of these can be the magic the magic pill for your business sometimes and if relationship building is an area that you're struggling with like I think the only way that you can do out is go out and do the reps and practice it and enjoy having conversations with people enjoy listening to people um I think it's invaluable skills yeah for sure and I think um know your strengths and know your weaknesses too so if relationship building isn't your strength um obviously work on it but find coaches that love to talk to people you know and while you're working on your thing and you can even get them to help you out, um, use them as much as you can because I think, as we said before, being humble and understanding what you're really good at and what maybe you need to work on um, is going to be the difference. Love it. Beautifully summarised. Before we take another direction in the podcast, do you have anything to add for any up-and-coming trainers or any bits of advice for anyone? Um, Don't be a hero. (laughs) leave your ego at the door. Um, You can learn from people who are literally just walking off the street and never having coached a session before. Um, And you can learn from people that have coached for the last 20 years. So leave your ego at the door because I think as soon as you humble yourself, then you open yourself up to a world of opportunity. Couldn't have said it better myself, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you. Now, I think diving into the strength and conditioning component, I think this is something that will resonate with a lot of people. And when we're talking about athletes, we we love to pinpoint on individual exercises, individual things, supplements Mm. to give them that 1% edge, right? Why is the 1% so important for athletes before we take the, I guess, the next step in this conversation? Um. Well, if you're talking about athletes who are obviously competing against other athletes, then they're all in the same boat, right? And they're all wanting the same goal. They're all wanting to get to the same position at the end of the year. And so you can almost 110% guarantee that every other athlete in their sport and in their competition is doing exactly the same thing they are. And they're striving for the same thing. They're doing the same amount of training, if not more, um, you know, they're all focusing on bettering themselves, getting themselves stronger, faster, more resilient. So I think in a world full of athletes that are doing the same thing, you got to set yourself apart as an athlete and go, what am I going to do differently or what am I going to do more of? And not necessarily more of, just be better at doing um, than my competitors because that's what's going to set you apart. In a world where people are doing what you're doing and trying to get to where you're getting to, well... If they're doing the same thing, then what's going to make you better than them? And for people that are 
sitting at home scratching their head asking what are those one percenters can you give us a little bit of an example i guess of one percent skills that are transferable without diving too much into specific sports yeah i probably to be honest i probably wouldn't talk about the skill set for me i think most athletes probably don't do enough of um uh sleep sleep is probably the biggest thing for us and athletes do all the right things in terms of train hard um, nutrition is looked after for them. They know exactly what they need to eat, um, when they need to eat, how they should train, when they should train. But I think recovery and sleep specifically is a massive one percent of that. So many people lose out on, and being disciplined. So we do all the right things when we're at the club or with the team. But as soon as we step away from that, it's like when you're at home by yourself and no one's watching. Like you know. You could have a couple of drinks a night, which I'm not saying is the worst thing in the world, but that for me would be a one percenter. It's okay, well, how am I going to give myself the best possible chance of being better than the next person in my sport? So I think for me, those are the two massive ones. It's sleep and recovery um, and discipline. I love how you've highlighted that. I expected you to say like all athletes should be taking creatine or some like little (laughs) 1% skill. It doesn't really matter. Um, But yeah, I think that's, I would have to agree with that. I think that's such a vital part of like having that competitive edge. It's so easy to do, but. Yeah, it is. It's so easy to do. And I think people just, they, sleep is so underrated. It's so underrated and it's the best thing in the world. Like why wouldn't you want a bit of extra sleep? (laughs) 100%. Now for the next part of my question, yep. relating to sort of like Gen Pop, um, obviously for people out there that are unsure what Gen Pop is, Gen Pop is anyone that's really not an athlete yep. or not an everyday athlete, just someone that wants to come in, get fit, yep. lose a little bit of weight, gain a bit of muscle, etc. not for a specific sport that they're trying to transfer those skills or, or those goals towards. Why do you think it's so popular for the Gen Pop clientele to want to gravitate more towards doing those 1% things? rather than focusing on the fundamentals that all athletes are already doing anyway. And those fundamentals could be, you know, consistently training, making sure they're on top of their nutrition, staying Mm -hmm. hydrated, all of those little things that add up that are like the fundamentals. Why are the gen pop folks so focused on the one percenters? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I think, I actually think social media has a massive part to play here. I think we are literally on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, you know, for three, four, five, six hours a day at a time. Um, And so, so many people are exposed to what we call the one percenters that athletes might do. And I think it looks really fancy. It's, oh, you know, this person did this or took this supplement, so it must be good. I'm going to try that next week. And instead of focusing on, like you said, the fundamentals and just getting your nutrition down pat, which is 90% of the work, right? Um, I think they look at that and go, oh, this is going to make me bigger. This is going to make me stronger. This is going to make me fitter. And so I think the social media side of things is probably what triggers that a lot more than anything else. And I think because it's everywhere at the moment, like it's literally on every single platform that we have access to that sort of stuff that, um, you know, we often talk about the fact that the grass is greener on the other side or so we think. Um, And so, so many people look to the other side and go, I could be that if I did what they're doing. But, you know, when in reality the grass is greener where you water it. So unless you're doing the fundamentals right, what's the point? (laughs) I love it. And, you know, 
people look towards this like perfect supplement yeah. to help them lose weight, but in actual fact, they're like the nutrition is poor. They're eating out every day of the yeah. week, eating, filling up their diet with processed foods. They're training two days a week, and they sleep shit out. So like, yeah. how do you expect to make those those I guess progressions from one supplement, you know, yeah. like I always use the analogies. You can't build a house from the from the roof up. Like yeah. first, you got to go through the grit work of laying the foundations. Yeah. And if you're transferring building a house into fitness, like laying a slab first, you got to put the concrete yeah. down, right? That yeah. is movement, like general yeah. incidental movement. That is making sure that you're eating whole foods predominantly. It's making yeah. sure that you're getting enough sleep. All of those little things that aren't appealing to market, that they're, yeah. they're really not easy to follow, but they are. It's like, oh, like, yeah, I'll, I'll just watch an episode, of, uh, another episode of Animal Kingdom and I won't, yeah. <laughs> and I won't go to sleep. But all of those little decisions add up to building those foundations. Yeah. And I think they're, they're almost easier to gravitate towards those those challenges that are like, all right, cool, I can do that because that's hard and I know there's an end date and that's going to help me achieve my goals. Absolutely. And I think everyone wants a quick fix, right? Everyone wants results, but they want it today or yesterday really. Um, And I think the hardest thing that I found getting people to understand is fitness is a journey. Um, Whether you want to get stronger, leaner, quicker, you know, fitter, whatever it is, um, I think people really struggle with the fact that it's not going to take you eight weeks. It's not going to take you 12 weeks. It's going to take months, years. Like, you know, some of the most professional athletes in the world that have been doing it since they were four years old are still learning and still in the process. Um, and I think you really need to start enjoying that journey and that process because otherwise you're just not going to get anywhere with it. There was a quote I heard this morning from someone and we're talking about this exact thing, but in relation to, to business, but it's the same principle, I guess. And the me- we're talking about like loving the, loving the journey and yeah. it'll help you achieve your destination. And it was like, I think it went, the man who loves walking will get there faster than yeah. the man who loves the destination or something along yeah. those lines. And it's, I guess it's translating into actually in, cultivating a environment where you're enjoying the process and not making it a struggle and not making it a chore because when it becomes a chore, there's no sustainability and longevity. There's always an end date with that. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, just because we say fall in love with the journey, it doesn't mean that it's not going to suck sometimes. My gosh, there's going to be, there's been months where I've absolutely hated training, you know, and training for me more so mentally has just been my saving grace. But there there are days where I, I can't be bothered. There are days where, you know, or, periods of my life where I couldn't think of anything worse. But I get up and I do it and I know that it's going to help me in the long run or, you know, where there are periods of time where I've been injured and I absolutely hate myself for, you know, wanting to push past it. But all in all, you just got to embrace it. And I think the more you do that, the more resilient you become to the periods when it does suck um, and you start to learn how to overcome them like a little bit more each time. I'm intrigued mm. to find out what your fundamentals are when you're lacking motivation or when you're really feeling like you don't want to train. For me personally, I do the 10 to 15 minute rule. So this is like speaking from a gen pop point of view, not so much an athletic point of view because you've obviously got goals you need yep. to adhere. But just from a gen pop point of view, <laughs> yep. like my 10 to 15 minute rule is giving giving a commitment to myself that I'm going to move and that could be any form of movement for 10 to 15 minutes yep. and then reassess then. Nine times out of ten, after ten or fifteen minutes, you're feeling awesome. Yeah, and you just keep going anyway. Do you have any other um, other tools that you look towards when you're lacking motivation? Um, that one's definitely one. There is another one 
and it look it's pretty lame I must say but um give it to me <laughs> I've got a I've got a little reminder that comes up on my phone every morning at 5 a.m because I set my alarm for 5 a.m um and it's a little David Goggins quote who I absolutely love and it's got driven not motivated um because I think motivation can last 10 or 15 minutes but having drive is something totally different and if you've got drive then you can do absolutely anything whether you feel great or you feel crappy so if I'm ever um at a point where I'm like do I want to train can I be bothered training I just go well am I driven or am I motivated and I'm always bloody driven <laughs> awesome yeah. love that love that Thanks. David Goggins what a man yeah oh, <laughs> phenomenal phenomenal guy little bit of a nutcase yeah his message if <laughs> anyone, we love that <laughs> if anyone took one percent of what his energy yeah. was and the things he does everyone would be a lot greater. Yeah. So, <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. And you hit the nail on the head, drive and motivation, two different things. And I think about exercise and movement as like brushing your teeth. There's not every day you want to get up and brush your teeth, right? But you know that you're going to have to brush your teeth yeah. if you're going to go interact with yeah. them, right? Because it's obviously unhygienic. You're going to yeah. have bad breath. Think of movement as the exact same non-negotiable yeah. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, um, I had a friend of mine who was really struggling lately to get some sessions in every week. And I said to her, well, you just got to, she had herself a goal. She's going overseas. And she said, I want to get to this percent body fat and this and that and all that sort of stuff. And I said, well, if you truly want that and you're driven to do that, then you got to set yourself a list of non-negotiables every week. Um, and so the first one might be that I have to train four days out of the seven days a week. The next one is I have to hit my protein goal every single day, you know, and so on. And I think if you make a list of non-negotiables um, and stick to those non-negotiables, then it makes it so much easier to get into a routine. And then once you're there, like the hard part is starting, right? 100%. I always celebrate the first step because it's the hardest yeah. part. The hardest yeah. part about going for a run is putting your runners on. Yeah. It's another cliche. I'm full of them today. <laughs> no, no, no. It's so true. And I think um, motivation has an end date, but drive is something that, you know, really is something that you'll have to tap into when times get tough. Yeah. Um, and shifting the goalposts constantly, having a set of non-negotiables that you know is your baseline. And I think wrapping this all in a bow, when you compare the gen pop to athletes, athletes have a set of non-negotiables mm. that are the baseline that are above what someone else's is. That's right. right. Yeah. So like an athlete's non-negotiable could be always making sure they're getting 15,000 steps per day, going for at least one session per day, getting the recovery and all of those non-negotiables for them. As a gen pop consumer or as a person that's just coming into the industry, what are your non-negotiables? Are your non-negotiables making sure that you watch one episode of Netflix yeah. a night? Like look at the priorities and set a list of non-negotiables and working with a coach is great for this as well, but set a list of non-negotiables that are going to help you get towards your goals. And once you do that, then yeah. half the job's done. Absolutely. And I think people are in this mindset that they have to cut out everything, you know, whether it's stuff out of their diet or whether it's, you know, um, that they have to, you know, stop watching TV altogether and that sort of stuff. People just assume that they have to give up every single thing in their life to be able to see a difference when in reality, like you said, it's, well, maybe I only have one cup of coffee a day. Um, maybe it's I only have, you know, half a block of Cadbury and not a full block of Cadbury. But for everyone it's going to be different. You don't need to go, you know, excuse the language, but balls to the wall with everything that you do. It's just got to be you've got to find what works for you and what's sustainable. 
Do you ever feel like, back to your one-on-one coaching days, do you ever feel like if someone came to you and you can see that there's so many red flags in terms of their <laughs> fundamentals, they're like yeah. not drinking enough water and then they're like not moving at all and like the first bit of advice for them is to like drink more water and you're like oh, wow, these guys are paying me to tell them to drink more water. Like, do you feel like a little bit of a fraud sometimes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like, you just go, I, this is the most simple thing in the world. Like, and I'm getting paid to tell them this. This is awesome. But also <laughs> I feel really bad. Definitely. I feel like sometimes that's that's my philosophy on things. But working out how to get someone to stick to those sort of things yeah. because the issue isn't not knowing that they need to drink the yeah. water, is it's how they can incorporate more water in and I think water in their in their day. And I think that that is what's true reflective of a fantastic coach, knowing the mm. ability to relate and give advice based on the unique ability of that person rather than just yeah. giving them, all right, drink more water. Like, no shit, Sherlock, of course yeah. I'm going to drink more water, but how? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? How am I going to get that in? And yeah. I think progress looks different for everyone, right? Like, you know, for me, it might be that I have a member that comes into the gym for the fourth day in the week instead of the third. That is progress enough. The fact that they got out of bed for that fourth day is huge. Whereas for someone else, it might be, you know, increasing weights on their deadlift or drinking an extra glass of water every day. Like it's, and I think, you know, once we understand that progress looks different for everyone, then we'll understand really how to speak to people and how to reach people a little bit differently. Celebrate those small wins, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, amazing bits of advice, and I'm learning so much being on the opposite <laughs> end of this microphone. So Hopefully. <laughs> thank you so much for your wisdom so far. Hey, friends, just a quick word from a sponsor of the show, and then we'll get right back to it. My Euphoria Health community would know that I adopt a plant-exclusive diet, a diet that is often labelled as lacking nutrients. While majority of the essential nutrients can be attained from a plant-rich diet, there are some nutrients that need a little extra love. Lucky for us plant-based folks, Emil have formulated the Essential 8 Multinutrient, which features some key nutrients that plant-based eaters may fall short on. The 8 key nutrients formulated in the capsule include omega-3, iodine, selenium, iron, vitamin D3, vitamin B12, calcium and zinc. Conveniently, just two capsules per day provide me with the ability to bulletproof my plant-rich diet as well as ensuring I'm not falling short on any nutrients of focus. I personally take two capsules of Essential 8 every day with breakfast, which ensures I can maintain my vital bubbly self and continue to promote active living within the community. The best part about it is that Emil have taken the hassle out of the reordering process through their monthly subscription model. Essential 8 just arrives at my doorstep each month, no questions asked. To get yours, head to www.emil.com forward slash euphoria health. That's www.eimele.com forward slash euphoria health. And use the code euphoria health at the checkout for an extra 5% off your first order on top of the generous subscription discount. I will also have a direct link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to it. For anyone that doesn't know, you are on the programming committee at yep. BFT. Yep. I'll leave it over to you, but <laughs> um, obviously the owner of BFT, Pascaval, BFT Essendon, yep. um, and on the programming committee for the whole BFT. What goes into the programming side of things when you're 
you're juggling programming for Gen Pop mm-hmm. and in a group environment, you've got your everyday athletes that are coming into the studio as yeah. well that are wanting to get that 1% better for them because they're already getting those baseline fundamentals strong. Yeah. How does the programming from, I guess, the mastermind herself, how does that differ and what goes into building the program, taking into taking all those things into consideration? Um, look, it's definitely been probably the most challenging thing in the world for me. Um you know, I used to think programming for athletes was hard, but programming for a mix of people is, uh, you know, probably more specifically Gen Pop has been the hardest thing in the world. Um, Cam Falloon, who's the BFT founder, um, he set the tone very early on um, and did, you know, phenomenal work with bringing in strength and conditioning principles into the programming. Um, and Cam's been a really big mentor of mine. So even, you know, um, now we will still bounce ideas off each other um, and build out, you know, a whole different range of different programs and ideas that we want to run through. And then we do a lot of member surveys, so we get a lot of feedback from members and franchisees about what they love, what they don't love, what we could be doing better. But every block of programming, including testing, writing it all up, delivering it, it probably takes about eight weeks and it is a crap load of work. So we start, you know, by organising a schedule for the eight-week block. Um, and then from there, the very first thing that we do is we look at, obviously, previous blocks and the distribution of the different programs and go, okay, well, from the last member survey as an example, did we have too much strength in there? Did we have too much cardio in there? How can we better this one? And how can we look at the feedback and take it on and then implement that into the next block? We always start with strength first. You know, BFT has a massive bias towards strength and we talk about the fact that strength underpins everything that we do in day-to-day life. So we'll always start by developing our strength sessions first um, and then we build off the other resistance programs to accompany our strength programs um, and make sure that we've got all our accessory lifts there and then we build out the cardio stuff around there. But... You know, we have a play around with testing it, um, testing every single program physically, um, which is a lot of work, but it's the best way to see how your members would be feeling at the end of week one, week two, um, and then we make adjustments from there. But it's really bloody hard. <laughs> from the outside looking in, yeah, I always have conversations with people about this. Programming can be so challenging, yeah, right? it is. But it also can be so simple at the same yeah. time. and. Do you ever, like, obviously there's a much greater yeah. um, responsibility on your shoulders programming <laughs> for a franchise company yeah. than me programming for a one-on-one session. But yeah. I guess trying to find some middle ground and, and make it accessible for both um, people in the industry that might be programming for either one or the other. Hmm. What are sort of some fundamentals that you're making sure that you're including in the programming block? Mm-hmm. More specifically, like you're making sure that you've got one squat movement, one hinge movement, yeah. one pull. Like, talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there's three things that we um, specifically look at when we program for BFT, and it's hitting the three energy systems, uh, the three muscle fibre types and the f- three planes of motion every week um, across different programs. So our aim is to make sure that we're at least including that into every single program um, and making sure there's an even spread of all of those things. Um, And then we look at exercise selection. And when we do that, we break it down into, you know, primal movement patterns, so squat, hinge, lunge, all of that sort of thing. Um, And we make sure that we've covered every single movement pattern but not overloaded it, Um, you know. And across different blocks, as an example, at the moment we've got 
a strength challenge on. So for the next nine weeks, um, you know, our members have tested the trap bar, deadlift and the barbell bench press. And so a lot of our strength progressions would focus on improving those two lifts specifically. And then the next block, those lifts will change. So we just make sure that we try and implement a lot of the SNC principles into our programs, um, but don't overload and make sure that when we are hitting different or targeting different energy systems per week, that um, we're not hitting them back to back. So as an example, we try our very best to go, well, if we've got power on Friday, we're not going to do a cardio hit session on a Saturday. Uh, we might do a cardio summit session, which is a more endurance-based session, um, just so members aren't feeling sore, they're not tapping into the same energy system back to back. Um, yeah, it's, it is tough though. So complex. Yeah. Like, wow. And <laughs> oh, just for perspective, like to understand how to do that on a wide scale with feedback yeah. from, like, it's a global franchise now, BFT. Like, it's yeah. crazy big that you, and the yeah. amount of different perspectives, different opinions from people. And you're constantly growing and constantly changing. It's so hard to yeah. be able to do those sorts of things. So I love that you've been able to share those basic fundamental principles with us. And I guess, from a, uh, I guess, one-on-one -on -one point of view, yep. programming can be super, super challenging for athletes and super, super challenging for gen pop. But I think above all, movement is key, right? Any yeah. form of movement is the most important principle. Like yeah. it doesn't matter if you've got the best program in the world. Exactly. If no one's moving, then it's not, it's yeah. not great if they're not showing up. So finding a way to tap into that person's ability to move, what they're enjoying, um, their strengths, their weaknesses, which is so challenging when you're programming for so many different people. It's so hard and, you know, there's a fine balance between trying not to dilute the product um, by, you know, catering to people who probably can't move as well or are quite new to it. Um, and, you know, the flip side of that is trying not to overdo it with really complex movements that nobody can achieve. Um, so finding that balance is really tough and, as you know, everyone has an opinion and I can tell you now you'll always hear about the stuff that you're not doing well in <laughs> um, as opposed to, you know, hearing about the stuff that you're probably doing really well. Um, but I think education is key and, you know, we find that the coaches that do the best are probably the ones that can educate their members the best and educate them about the why behind every program, behind every movement pattern, what we're trying to get out of every single session um, coaches in our network specifically that do that well are the most successful ones. And so I think for us, the big, the biggest link here is education. And, um, you know, if we can better that across the network, then hopefully, um, that'll continue to increase the standard. Yeah, hundred percent. And it, like, BFT is growing so fast. It's yeah. like the who's who in the group fitness industry at the moment, which is amazing and yeah. awesome to be a part of such a great um, great community, great program, great business model. And I love the fact that um, it's getting people moving, it's getting people intrigued, but you're not diluting those fundamental principles that you're standing by so much, which is strength and conditioning and yeah. programming to give people that competitive edge and help people get that 1% better yeah. while helping other people just get into the industry as well. Yeah. So you're constantly juggling multiple different things. And yeah, it's amazing to, to watch so far. Now, this is something that I think is really, um, really getting a lot of traction out there and that's females in business and like gender equality and, yeah. and how we can sort of like bridge the gap between males and females and mm -hmm. the domination of, of each gender within the industry. Yeah. Being 
a franchise owner, being a part of a global franchise in the programming department, how have you found being a woman in, a woman in this business realm and do you have any advice for any women in business that are wanting to start off but are, I guess, a little bit hesitant in terms of getting into that? Yeah, good question. I think if I'm being honest, I'm one of the lucky ones that has been surrounded by um, really good people in my network and in every position that I've been in, whether it's strength and conditioning or in this role, I've had males around me um, supporting me in that role. So, you know, I remember at footy having the male coaches absolutely love the fact that a female was in there and getting amongst it. And, you know, one of the boys actually used to say to me, it's amazing how much harder guys work in a gym when a female's around. (laughs) But, you know, even in this role at the moment, like I said, my um, boss Cam, who was a great mentor for me, you know, absolutely loves the fact that a female is in this role. And so I think I've been lucky enough to have people like that around me that really push for that and strive for that. I'm not talking myself up or anything like that, so please don't take it that way. But I don't think I've ever looked at an opportunity or looked at something and gone, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. I don't think I'm going to do well in it. I've always just gone, you know what, of course you're going to do well in it because you're going to push yourself to do it and you can't not make it work. You just have to make it work. So just do it. What's the worst that can happen? Again, I've had really good support around me, but I think the biggest piece of advice is back yourself. People are going to talk about you. People are going to try and bring you down, whether you do what you love or you don't do what you love. So you might as well try and do what you love. You know, what's the point otherwise? Because you're going to be sitting there forever going, I should have done it, I should have done it. Um, And you're letting people that probably don't even matter, um, you know, influence your decision. So I think absolutely back yourself. And I actually think being a female in this industry has started to become a bit of an advantage. You know, I think we bring so many qualities that, now don't quote me here, most males probably don't bring. Um, They obviously, there are obviously males that do bring a lot of empathy and sympathy and sensitivity to the network. But, um, you know, females are inherently made of that stuff. And I think that's the stuff that really connects with people as well. And so I think we've got a massive advantage. And for anyone that's probably hesitant to do it, you're in a prime position. So why not give it everything? I I totally agree with you there, Sarah. I think gone are the days where it's taboo to be a female personal trainer. Like I look on my social media newsfeed and see so many influential females that are absolutely dominating and changing people's lives just through that connection element, that relationship building. And you've got a lot of females gravitating towards more female-based trainers, which is amazing because you've got that ability to connect, that ability to build rapport, that ability to understand what a female's body is going through. Because the actual fact is that male and female programming should not be the same because there's so many different things that are happening within a female's body, different hormones, different structures. So to have a one-size-fits-all approach is just not relevant. Mm. So the ability to empathize and understand and connect is so crucial and 100% agree that it's an advantage being a a woman in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you, you know, walk the walk, like if you're somebody who does lift and, you know, does train hard and does run and all that sort of thing, then people look to you as an example. And I think, again, that's that's our advantage. Like, 
you know, I've got so many male and female members at the studio and whenever we do a strength session together and, you know, we're all lifting pretty heavy, especially the girls, the guys absolutely love it because they're like, I'm surrounded by bloody powerful women and the girls love it because they go, shit, I want to be that. Like, I'll, I want to get to that point. Um, and so I think people just really doubt themselves um, when they go for that sort of thing. And you're right, like, females just deal with things differently. We've got different things going on and I think if females can connect with other females and other males, to get them understanding that, then, yeah, it goes such a long way. It's such a big gap um, from, I guess, a, a male's point of view, understanding how a female's body operates and understanding how to empathise, program yeah. and still help that person achieve their goals with all of those adverse things happening yeah. is such a big gap that I've had to put so much work into understanding <laughs> how to do, right? Yeah. And it's something that you don't get taught yeah. on how to do. You don't get taught how to empathise. You don't get yeah. taught how to program for a lady that's in the middle of her cycle that's coming up yeah. to her cycle. Like all of these crucial things that are so, so important in helping someone achieve their goals and helping someone enjoy the process, right? Yeah. Expecting someone to <laughs> go out and hit a PB while they're in the middle of their period cycle yeah. is just not possible. So yeah. as a coach, you need to be able to understand those sorts of things. So yeah. from a male's point of view, looking at um, how to train females, I think the best bit of advice that I can give for male PTs is go and educate yourself on Absolutely. the importance of that and yes. understand what it's like to be a female. Like you've all got females in your life. Like mm-hmm. be vulnerable, ask the question. Like yeah. be open. It comes back to that thing we are talking about before, be open to education and be vulnerable. You don't know it all. So yeah. learn. And I can tell you people will gravitate to that so much, so much more. Like I said, having males in my network supporting me and having that sort of understanding is what changed everything for me and made me want to keep pursuing what I was pursuing. So I'm sure you would have noticed this as well. Like the, obviously you notice this, you're a part of the, the, <laughs> the, the stigma changed around like females and lifting weights has yeah. changed in the past sort of five yeah. to 10 years. So I can't yeah. speak for the 10 years, but for the past five years, it's just been like amazing to see the so shift. Good. Like, I think back to seven years ago when I first started, like the first sort of few female clients that I would get would be like, oh, I don't want to lift weights, just want to do a little bit more cardio. Yeah. Now it's like, no, let's let's yeah. lift weights, let's get strong. And yeah. I love that that movement, that fierceness, that tenacity that's come from this movement itself. Yeah. It's so great to see. And like it has a big follow-on effect. Like I get new members um, that come to me and they see that person lifting that that female lifting that amount of weight and they go automatically I want to be able to do that and I'm just like yeah, yeah awesome. yes. love it so good um makes me so happy <laughs> um you know and I think part of that is education as well so my mum you know and my auntie used to say to me Sarah you got to stop lifting weights it's bad for you you got to stop lifting weights it's bad you're going to injure yourself blah 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 and you know the more that I've spoken to them about it um and you know, the more that they've dealt with their own injuries and that sort of thing, like my mum had a pretty bad accident a couple of years ago and she's dealing with some osteoporosis now. Um, and, you know, I did a DEXA scan not long ago and my bone density was through the roof and, you know, the guy that did it for me said, well, it's because of all the weights that you're lifting, like it's been so good for you. And so mum's now started weight training, which is phenomenal. That's awesome. You know, and when I post up about my deadlifts or anything like that, my auntie would now say to me, oh, I want to lift like that. I want to lift like that. Show me how to do it. And I'm like, yes, this is what I want. How good. 
I love that. That is so, so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> the old, gone are the days of, oh, you're going to hurt your back if you lift that. Oh, and it's just education. Like my grandma said to me, you know, if you keep lifting like that, you're not going to be able to get pregnant. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How is this even a thing? <laughs> but it's just old school mentality, I guess. Oh, too good, too good. I think breaking that down a step further for anyone that's, I guess, struggling to set goals in the industry. Like if that's not a great goal in itself, like I want to lift weights to be strong. I want to lift weights to be able to hold my my frame up when I get to 80 years old. Like that's an amazing goal in itself, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And we all know the researchers out there, the benefits of resistance training for bone density and helping make strong bones is huge. So yeah, um, quality of life is everything, right? Yeah, 100%. Beautifully said, Sarah. This podcast has been amazing, mate. I've loved picking your brain, loved Thank having you. the opportunity to sit down and, and chat all things business, fitness, programming with you. Before we get into the final bit, which is rapid fire, I'd love to circle back to the beginning and highlight the conversation we spoke about in terms of qualities as a teenager when you're speaking about sort of like that resilience, that safety net, yeah. um, having the ability to like push past adversity. Mm-hmm. How do you think that having those qualities has benefited you being a business owner Mm. later in life? Yeah, good question. Um, Well, I think the last two years are a really good example. Uh, Having gone through COVID and having our gyms shut and not being able to really do anything um, outside of that and not being able to run our business. um, I think, you know, when I was younger and not being exposed to all the things that would make me a little bit more resilient um, and tougher, so to speak. I think I would have completely shut down and just gone three hands up in the air and that's it, we're done. But I think having gone through that and being taught that through, you know, my relationship with mum and my family, I think it's definitely instilled in me the ability to look at a situation and go, you know what, and as much as I hate this saying, it is what it is, um, you just got to accept it. And my biggest struggle has always been to let go of what I can't control. And I can tell you the last two years of not being able to run my business has taught me how to do that pretty well. Um, I still struggle every day with it, but it's definitely made me a lot more aware of my ability to tap into my resilience when I do go through things like that and go, well, okay, this is just another setback. It's not the end of the world. Things are going to happen. You know, it's the wave of life. You just ride it because um, not every day in business is glorious. It's actually quite the opposite. Um, and for those that do run a business, they know exactly what I'm talking about, um, let alone two businesses. <laughs> so you just got to learn how to ride the wave and have really good people around you. You know, my business partners and my family and friends have been the best support. And I think my resilience comes from them too. Awesome. I love that. Let's get into some rapid fire. Um, feel free to take as long as you want. <laughs> as well. yeah. um, what advice would you give to 16-year-old Sarah? Be a little bit braver and confident in yourself. I used to doubt myself so much. And I think it stopped me from doing what I want to do until later on in life. So, Look at you now, crushing it. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Do you have any advice for future women in, I guess, business, but I guess more specifically the fitness industry? Like I said, back yourself, um, but go and do the work. Know that you don't know it all. Go and do the work um, and back yourself into whatever it is that you want to do. Be an example for people. Love it. What advice would you give someone starting in the industry as a consumer, not so much as a coach, as a consumer stepping into the gym for the first time? Ah, so a member. 
member perspective. Um, don't worry about what other people are doing, just go at your own pace. I have so many members that come in for the first time and they go, oh my God, I don't know if this is for me, like this is really hard. And I'm like, you don't have to go as hard as everybody else. Um, just embrace it, try something different um, and don't be scared of it. I think go at your own pace and build yourself up. You just don't have to go 110% from the get-go. Progress is progress. I love it. And final question, what's the most important trait that gym owners should learn or adapt before opening a gym? So not skill. Trait slash skill. Mm. Definitely communication. Definitely. I think, like we said earlier, we harped on about it, but if you know how to speak to people and you know how to get the most out of people, then the business runs itself, really. Um, You know, we were so worried about getting enough sales and this and that, but I think if you focus on building a community through communication, everything else just falls into place. So definitely learn how to speak to people. I second that. Communication is so, so vital. Yeah. So, so vital. And you can know everything in the world, but if you can't tell someone, then it's useless information. Absolutely. Yep. Love it. Sarah, this has been an absolute pleasure, mate. Awesome to meet you. Awesome to sit down and and have this conversation. I think there's so many gold nuggets of wisdom for anyone that's in the industry, whether you're a trainer, a coach, strength and conditioning coach, or you're just a gen pop consumer. I think it's been awesome. So thank you so much. No, thank you, mate. Honestly, I was really humbled when you reached out. So this has been a lot of fun. (laughs) So I appreciate it. Thank you so much.